Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary, Port St. Lucie. Let's join lead pastor Mike Wiggins with the message, Sound the Alarm. Amen. Well, around AD 95, as most of you already know, while he was imprisoned on the island of Patmos, the apostle John was taken up, caught up by his spirit into heaven where he was given a series of apocalyptic visions. And so later, John wrote those visions down, and we know um, that those visions were preserved now for 2,000 years. It's called the book of Revelation. And so we call John's visions the Revelation. It's been revealed, and it's in the pages just so you guys can realize the impact of what you have open before you today, it's in the pages of this book that the monumental subject of how the world is going to end has been revealed. And so one of John's visions that he saw after he was taken up into heaven, he saw the father giving his son a scroll. And of course, we determined weeks ago that that scroll is nothing less than the title deed of the earth. And that scroll was secured, you remember this, with seven seals. We saw that back in chapter 5. John, as he continued to watch this vision, saw Jesus open six out of seven of the seals. And as he did that, that unleashed these cataclysmic judgments upon the face of the earth. We saw that in chapter 6. Today, we're going to read all about the opening, finally, of that seventh seal. And when that seal is opened, it's going to reveal something totally new. So if you're taking notes, here we go. The seventh seal contains the seven trumpet judgments. So if you know anything about the book of Revelation, then you know that as Christ prepares to come back to the earth, judgments are going to come upon a rebellious world that continues to persist in their sin, persist in their self-absorption, persist in their uh, perversity, okay? And so judgments are coming upon this unrepentant world in the form of seven seal judgments, then seven trumpet judgments, and then seven bowl judgments or bowls of wrath. Now, today we're starting the trumpet judgments. We're going to go through four of those here in chapter 8. But you need to know that in the Old Testament, among other things, trumpets were used to sound the alarm for war. God told Moses this in Numbers 10.9, when you arrive in your own land and go to war against your enemies who attack you, sound the alarm. How? With the trumpets. And so when the trumpets were blown in Israel, in, in, in Israel, the Israelites knew, at least the men 20 years old and, and older, it's time, guys, to muster up your courage. The trumpets are sounding. It's time to prepare for battle against these enemies that are attacking us. In the same way, in the future, during the tribulation period from heaven, when the seven trumpets are blown, they're going to sound the alarm that Christ is coming back soon. I mean, I believe we're now in the second half of the tribulation period. So we only got a little less than three and a half years before Jesus literally comes back. And when he literally comes back, how many of you guys understand that evil will not indefinitely go on on this earth forever? There's no way. 
The Lord's going to come back. He's going to make things right. He's going to wage war. The trumpets are going to sound. He's going to wage war against his evil enemies, the forces of darkness, and he's going to uh, replace the kingdom of darkness with a kingdom of light. The seven trumpet judgments are going to be a wake-up call for the world. My dad served his country for over 20 years, um, and then he retired from the Air Force when I was around three years old. After he retired, he and my mom, uh, they bought a house in South Tampa, just north of MacDill Air Force Base, and in that house is where they raised my two big brothers and I. By the way, my mom still lives in the same house there in South Tampa. Now, that house only has two bedrooms. Two bedrooms, one bath, wood frame house, and so three boys grew up in one bedroom. And by the way, I'm older now, and I don't have any long-lasting weird effects from growing up in <laughs> a room with two big brothers, okay? Okay, so moms and dads, it's okay to put your kids together you know, in the same room. It's not the end of the world, even though they, they say it's the end of the world. And so my two big brothers were on the bunk beds, and then we kept a trundle underneath. We pulled the trundle out every night, and I would sleep on um, the trundle bed. We did that for many years. Now, in the morning, it was my dad's job to wake us up. And the way that he chose to wake us up showed the impact that the military had on his life after 22 years. He'd come into the room, and he'd be whistling reveille. I'm not going to whistle in the microphone. I can't whistle anyway. But... You can imagine, you know, dun 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 He'd come in, and as he's doing that, he starts pounding on the bunk beds while he's whistling reveille. Now, my brothers and I look back on those memories. We smile now. We weren't smiling then. Okay, but, but hey, guess what? We didn't talk back. We didn't cop an attitude to our dad. Are you kidding me? We respected our mom and dad, and he made sure we respected them, and we got out of bed, whether we felt like it or not. Reveille was the way my dad sounded the alarm for his boys to wake up. In the same manner, when these seven trumpets are blown from heaven in the future, they will sound the alarm that mankind just needs to wake up. You guys realize the world is sleeping spiritually? Everybody's going their own way, doing their own thing, living for themselves, or most people are at least. It's all about me, myself, and I. They have no clue about God, or many of them are suppressing the truth and unrighteousness in Romans chapter 1, and they continue to spiral down because of that suppression of the truth. There needs to be a, a wake-up call, and God's going to give it during the tribulation period. So today we start in chapter 8, verse 1. And so when the lamb, the lamb, of course, is Jesus, opened the seventh seal, we're finally there, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Now, concerning his judgment in Old Testament times, the Lord said this through the prophet Zephaniah. He said, stand in silence in the presence of the sovereign Lord. For the awesome day of the Lord's judgment is near. And so before God brought judgment, this is around 600 B.C., before God brought judgment upon Judah, he wanted everybody just to be silent. In other words, hey, just quiet your heart. Allow the weight of what God is now going to do 
to come crashing in upon you. In other words, allow yourself to understand, ladies and gentlemen, we need this message today, that there are consequences to sin. And, and we fool ourselves or we're deceived or something. We think that if we have this little private sin or whatever, it's only going to affect us in a negative way. No, no, no. It's going to affect everybody in your little circle, your, your spouse, your kids, the, the close family members or friends that you have. Sin has consequences, and the consequences ripple, and they negatively affect the lives of other people. And so, in the same way, in verse 2, that there was judgment coming in 600 B.C. upon Judah, in the same way, when Jesus opens the seventh seal, there's going to be total silence in heaven, total silence before the seven trumpet judgments upon the earth. And so I want you to imagine the 24 elders, imagine the four living creatures hovering, hovering around the throne who were saying, holy, 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 but they stopped. And the innumerable angels throughout heaven, holy hush for 30 long minutes. And everybody's waiting up in heaven with bated breath. What's going to happen next? Well, What's going to happen next is the seven trumpet judgments. God's going to sound the alarm. Look at verses 3 and 4 now. I'm sorry, verse 2. It says, Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. So after the 30 minutes of silence, seven angels are given seven trumpets. And what they're doing, John's continuing to have these series of visions up in heaven concerning the last seven years of history as we know it, the next vision he sees, seven angels receive seven trumpets. They are waiting for their cue to sound the alarm. Now we can go to verse three. It says, and another angel came and stood at the altar with the golden censer. Now, he's having a, a, a vision of heaven, and he sees an altar. Why? Because, ladies and gentlemen, there is a sanctuary or a tabernacle in heaven. How many of you guys have ever read Hebrews or were here like seven years or six years ago when we talked through Hebrews? Okay, and so we know that in Hebrews chapter eight, verse five, that it talks about that there's a heavenly sanctuary. And so 1500 BC, when Moses is getting ready to make the Old Testament tabernacle, God said to Moses, Moses, hey, make sure that you make that tabernacle according to the pattern that I gave you on Mount Sinai. When Moses was up there for 40 days and 40 nights, one of the things, he didn't just get the law of God, he got specific instructions about how to build the Old Testament tabernacle. Later on in Jewish history, it became the temple. And so I want you, Moses, to make the tabernacle after the pattern that I showed you on the mountain. The pattern of what? The pattern of the heavenly tabernacle or sanctuary. And so John, right now, Spiritually, he's in heaven, he sees this heavenly sanctuary before the throne of God, and he sees an altar there in verse 3. And he sees an angel at that altar with a golden censer. And the angel was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. And so after the 30 minutes 
of silence. After the seven angels are given their seven trumpets waiting for their cue, an eighth angel enters a heavenly scene. And the role that this eighth angel is going to play someday up in heaven is very similar to the role that the Old Testament priest, the Levite, played on earth during Old Testament times. You need to know that if you're not familiar with the Old Testament tabernacle, that there were two altars. Okay, so the Old Testament tabernacle had the brazen altar on the outer court, and that brazen altar was where they would sacrifice animals to atone for sin. And so they would, they would uh, kill the animal, they would sacrifice it. Those animals typified the Lamb of God who once and for all takes away the sins of the world. Aren't you glad we're under the new covenant, by the way, and we don't have to kill animals today? Jesus Christ was was paid the price for our sin in our place to atone for our sins forever. But back then, okay, they would, they would kill the animals on the brazen altar. That's one altar. On the outer court. In the holy place, on the inner court, there was another altar. It's called the golden altar of incense. And so, twice every day, every morning and every evening, the Levite, the priest, here's what he would do. He would go outside on the right side of your screen to the outer court, to the brazen altar with a golden censer. The golden censer was like a fire pot. And from the brazen altar, he would get all these hot burning coals and put them into the golden censer. Then, every morning, every evening, he would walk into the inner sanctuary, past the menorah on the left, past the table of showbread on the right, to front and center, the other altar, the golden altar of incense. He has a censer in his hand. He has burning coals from the brazen altar on the outer court. He would take the burning coals. He would put them on the golden altar of incense, and then he would sprinkle incense on those coals, and the smoke of the incense would rise, would ascend before the presence of God. Now, under the old covenant, where was the presence of God? Past the veil... In the Holy of Holies, they're seated above, enthroned above the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant between the cherubim. That's where the presence of God was. And so the smoke symbolized the prayers of God's people ascending into the very presence of God. Does that make sense to you guys? In the same way, John sees an angel in the heavenly tabernacle. And what is this angel doing? He's doing very similar, the same thing, as the Old Testament Levite did. He's offering incense on the golden altar of incense, and the smoke of the incense is going up before the very throne of God in heaven. Now, what does the smoke of the incense symbolize? It symbolizes our prayers. Ladies and gentlemen, you may think that your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. You may think, where's God? I haven't sensed his presence in weeks. I don't think he hears me anymore. Well, if you were here last week and you heard the message about your identity in Christ, that if you honestly have given your life to Jesus Christ and you're a new creation, listen, whether you feel like it or not, you need to know by faith your prayers are ascending before the throne of God. He hears you. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman avails much. Whether you feel like it or not, keep praying. Keep praying. God's either going to say yes or he's going to say no, or he's going to say wait. But keep, keep, keep praying. And so this angel, he offers this incense before the Lord. And the 
Smoke of the incense rises up before the Lord. Did you see that in verse four? It says the smoke of the incense with, with the prayers of the saints. That's how we know prayers are symbolic of this incense smoke. Rose before God, into verse four, from the hand of the angel. Now, I believe specifically these prayers in Revelation chapter eight are the prayers of the martyrs associated with the fifth seal um, back in the previous chapter, back in chapter six, uh, verses nine and 10. I'm not gonna take time to read those verses, but you remember, if you were with us a few weeks ago, the fifth seal was broken, and there's, all, there's these souls underneath the altar, and what are they saying to the Lord? They're saying, how long, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, before you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And so specifically, in the context of chapter 8, I believe these prayers going up before God are the prayers of the martyred souls associated with the fifth seal. And here's, what, here's the prayers that God is receiving up in heaven during the tribulation. How long, Lord? <laughs> How long before you judge and avenge our blood? How long before you judge the wicked people that hunted us down during the tribulation and murdered us? How long? before you come against the forces of the Antichrist and judge those evil forces for snuffing out us while we were living on the earth during the tribulation period. How long, Lord, before you do something? And again, you need to know that evil is not going to continue indefinitely upon the earth. God is going to answer the prayers of the martyrs. Jesus Christ is going to come. And so, well, how do we know that? Look at verse five. Verse five tells us. It says, then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar. And what did he do? He threw it down on the earth. And there were, these symbolize God's judgment, peals of thunder and rumblings and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. Okay, what in the world does verse five mean? Here it is. The hurling of the fiery censer to earth symbolizes how the prayers of God's people will be answered. How long, O Lord, before you judge and avenge our blood? Smoke of the incense rising before the Father. And the Father says, I'm gonna answer that prayer. Here's how. And the angel takes the golden censer, the fire pan, fills it with fire, throws it down to the earth, He's going to answer the prayers of the martyr, martyrs. How? Through the seven trumpet judgments coming upon the earth. By the way, before we continue, did you guys know that when you pray the Lord's Prayer, you're praying something very similar to what the martyrs will pray someday up in heaven? Just think about it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Here it is. Your kingdom Come, how long, Lord? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All right, when you guys read the news, when you watch the news at night and you see everything that's going on in the world, do you think God's kingdom has come to this earth? When you hear about all the murders and the rape and the abductions and the child abuse and the perversion, my wife was telling me um, a week ago about some news article that she read about some so-called parents that abuse their 
their child to the point that the kid died. When you read about that stuff, do you really think God's kingdom has come to this earth and God's will is being done on the earth? No, not even close. But here's the good news. One day the prayers of the martyrs, one day your prayers, my prayers, and the prayers of billions of saints throughout the ages are going to be answered and Christ is going to come back and he's going to replace the the kingdom of darkness with a kingdom of light. And finally, righteousness will come to this planet. It'll be no more bad news. It'll be good news. Good news is coming because our God is a good God. Look at verse six. But first, before the good comes, judgment's gotta come. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. And the first angel blew his trumpet and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood and these were thrown upon the earth. And this is mind boggling right here. A third of the earth was burned up. Do you see how there's always consequences to sin and rebellion against God? I mean, do you think God wants to do this? What did God do way back in Genesis after he created the earth? He looked back at everything he created. He said, man, it's, it's not just good. It's very good. But we had to mess it up. And so God's got to make a new heavens and a new earth. He's got to judge this earth. We'll get to that when we get to Revelation 21 and 22. But he's in the process of judging the earth and those who are rebelling against him. A third of the earth was burned up and a third of the trees were burned up and all the green grass was burned up. What's the first trumpet judgment? Hail and fire, one third of the earth's vegetation is ruined. This judgment that is coming, this is not a fairy tale, this will actually happen. This judgment that is coming is very similar to the judgment that God inflicted upon the Egyptians during the seventh plague. You guys remember the 10 plagues that came upon Egypt? Okay, let's read about the seventh one. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt on man and beast and every plant, the vegetation, every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. And then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven and the Lord sent thunder and hail and what else? Fire ran down to the earth. And the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail. Pretty scary stuff. Very heavy hail. Okay, these big rocks coming down. Such as had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And so just like the seventh plague, 1500 B.C., devastated Egypt. So in the future, during the tribulation period, the first trumpet judgment is going to devastate much of the earth. And so the fire that's coming down after the first trumpet blows, the fire that's coming down is going to cause these raging infernos that are going to incinerate, scorch, one-third of the earth's vegetation. Not only that, the hail that's coming down after the first trumpet blows is going to be very heavy hail is going to be pelting both man and beast. Now, this is why I believe, back in verse um, 7, 
It says, the first angel blew his trumpet and there followed hail and fire mixed with what? Blood. What's the blood? It's the blood of men and beasts. This is great, huge rocks of hail are coming down and, and hitting them. There's going to be a bloodbath upon the earth. And so billions of trees are going to be scorched. Billions of crops are going to be dec uh, decimated. Billions of homes are going to be destroyed. And smoke is going to cover at least a third of this planet. Now, would you agree this is pretty heavy stuff? And so here's what some pastors, Bible commentators try to do so it's not so heavy. Everybody's so afraid of offending people, by the way. Why, why are we so afraid of offending people with the truth? Why don't we just give the truth in love and let the chips fall, right? Okay, so this is heavy stuff. So here's what some people try to do. They tried to interpret these judgments in an allegorical way. And what they say is like, oh, the trees, a third of the trees. Trees don't literally mean trees. Trees are symbolic of, you know, governments or whatever, they say. The grass really isn't grass. It's just symbolic of whatever. Okay, the question I have for those who try to interpret these judgments in an allegorical way is this. Here's the question. Were the 10 plagues that God brought upon Egypt, were they literal or were they symbolic? Pretty literal. Okay, the water of the Nile literally turned to blood. Literal frogs covered the land, came into their houses, got in their bed when they went to bed. Can you imagine big frogs in your bed? Some of you, some of you ladies would just freak out, and a lot of us men would too. Literal gnats, literal flies, literal boils, literal hail and fire, et cetera, et cetera. The firstborn sons, literally young men, the next morning woke up, and the firstborn sons throughout the land of Egypt, except in Goshen where the uh, children of Israel were, throughout the land of Egypt, these guys were literally dead. And so if the 10 plagues that God brought upon Egypt were literal, why do we think these judgments are anything less? You see, what happened to Egypt is a piece of cake compared to what's gonna happen after the first trumpet judgment comes upon the earth during, I believe, the second half of the tribulation period. And so just so you know, how bad is it gonna get? Jesus said concerning the second half of the tribulation, he said in Matthew 24, 21, for then there will be great tribulation such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And so yes, this is heavy. Yes, this kind of makes us think, wow. But we dare not ever try to make truth more palatable by changing truth to make it say something that it's not. We just need to let people know what the Bible says. Okay, and so a third of the earth's vegetation ruined, and then the second trumpet judgment sounds. Look at verses eight and nine. And the second angel blew his trumpet, and something like, okay, now this is how we know it's time to, to use symbols, or he's using a symbol. And I, I agree, there's lots of symbols in the book of Revelation, but what I know that behind every symbol, there's a literal truth. So whenever you see the word like in your Bible, that means he's doing his best to describe something, 
And so it's like a great mountain. It's not a literal big mountain coming down. Does that make sense to you guys? Okay, so a second angel blew his trumpet and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures of the sea died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. Okay, what is the second trumpet judgment? This is what I believe some people have different opinions. I think it's an asteroid and a third of the Earth's oceans are gonna be contaminated as a result. Okay, so what's an asteroid? Asteroids are rocks that orbit the sun. And thank God, you know, in God's grace, when, when most of these rocks are coming on a collision course with the Earth, what happens when they enter our atmosphere? They burn up. How many of you guys are happy that happens, right? But this one in verse eight makes it through. And so John's having a vision of a future time and he sees this thing and looks as it speeds towards the earth, it looks like a, a mountain that's on fire coming down upon the earth. And I believe personally it's an asteroid on a collision course with the earth and it will actually make an impact during the second half of the tribulation period. I went to NASA's website to learn more about asteroids. Check this out. If a rocky meteoroid larger than 25 meters but smaller than one kilometer, a kilometer is a little more than half a mile, if something about a half mile large or less were to hit the Earth, it would likely cause local damage to the impact area. We believe anything larger then one to two kilometers could have worldwide effects. That's why it's, it's a lot bigger. That's why he said it's like a mountain. This thing is big. And the earth is trying, the, the atmosphere is trying to burn it up. It's, it's on fire and it's on a collision course. Now, with modern day technology, scientists are gonna easily be able to track this thing well in advance before it makes impact on the earth. And so no doubt it's gonna be all over the news no doubt people are gonna know when it's gonna come, what ocean, whatever ocean it is, it's gonna hit, but when it makes impact, it'll be like an atomic bomb going off. Billions of sea creatures are gonna be wiped out. And not only that, it's gonna cause a tsunami that's gonna capsize and destroy one-third of the ships of the world. Cargo ships, right? Warships, cruise ships. A third of them capsized, wiped out, cargo ships. Okay, what does that mean? That means the distribution of food greatly hindered during this time. Warships, what does that mean? That means a lot of nations are gonna be left vulnerable to attack from the enemy. Cruise ships, what does that mean? A lot of people's vacations are gonna be hindered, even though I don't think anyone's gonna even think about vacation during the second half of the tribulation period, right? I can't imagine, you know, second half of the tribula tribulation. Hey, honey, let's, let's go on a cruise down to the Bahamas. No, it's not gonna happen. Look at verse 10. The third angel blew his trumpet and a great star, okay, we, we already learned this. It's not actual stars in heaven. Those things are way too big. They even got a little bit close to the earth. We'd all be toast, okay? So star in the Greek is aster, speaks of just celestial bodies. Could be a comet, could be an asteroid, meteor, whatever. Okay, a great star fell from heaven, 
blazing like a torch, like a torch, not a literal torch. And it fell on, the, on a third of the rivers and the springs of water. The name of the star is what? Wormwood. This simply means bitter. And a third of the waters became wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. What is the third trumpet judgment? It's wormwood, whatever that is. And a third of the earth's fresh water is polluted. Okay, so as a result of the second trumpet judgment, a third of the salt water is contaminated. As a result of the third trumpet judgment, a third of the fresh water, lakes, rivers, streams, springs, those are contaminated. Okay, now, he says the star's name is wormwood. What is wormwood? Well, wormwood is simply a shrub. It grows out in the desert or in desolate places. And the wormwood leaves, by the way, um, you can get absinthe from wormwood leaves. Absinthe, of course, is a spirit, not a, a spirit in the sky, a spirit like an alcoholic drink, alcoholic drink. Absinthe has such a high level of alcohol that it was banned in the 20th century in many places around the world. I don't know if it's still banned today, um, but absinthe can be lethal. They used to drink it in France all the time back in the day as an alcoholic beverage, okay? So where do you get that? You get that from the wormwood shrub. It's toxic, it's, it's bitter, okay? So when this great star strikes the earth, what is it gonna do? It's going to poison a third of the fresh water on the whole entire planet. Gonna make it bitter. So rivers and springs and places where you used to get this fresh, cold, pure water, it's gonna be contaminated and you're not gonna be able to drink. And as a result, John says, lots of people are going to die. Okay, so what is this great star called Wormwood? What is it? He says it's like a torch. It's blazing. Some people say it's another asteroid coming in. This is where I lean, I'm not there 100%, this is where I lean. Other people say that it's John's best attempt to describe a nuclear missile. This is what I believe. Someone told me in between services that the word wormwood in the Ukrainian Bible is Chernobyl. And so here you have this, John's doing his best, it's AD 95, he's trying to describe something he sees in the future. He says it's like a torch and it's on fire well, again, I'm not fully there, but I lean this way. I think he's, the best way he can, he's describing a nuclear missile. Now, what happens when there's nuclear warfare? Well, of course, the fresh water is contaminated with radioactive material. And so if there's an all-out nuclear war during the second half of the tribulation, of course, a third of the fresh water of the earth is gonna be contaminated. And if anybody knows anything about lakes that are, uh, have been contaminated by by radioactive uh, material, you know it's hundreds of years before you can ever, ever treat that water and use it somehow in the future. Look at verse 12 now. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. So what is the fourth trumpet judgment? Simply partial darkness. When one-third of the light from celestial bodies go out. 
And so a third of the day becomes night. A third of the night, it's pitch black because there's no light being reflected from the moon. There's no light from the stars uh, coming through. Now, of course, you know, when you think about the second half of the tribulation and everything we've already studied leading up to this, of course, I believe it's kind of like a no-brainer that much of the world is already going to be in the dark anyway because of power outages and blackouts. And so this added darkness is only going to add to mankind's misery. Darkness leads to looting and other crimes, and so as the... Here's the thing, as the world persists to suppress the truth and unrighteousness, as the world from their hearts continues, says, no God, no God, no God, what happens as the tribulation continues is that the whole world is spiraling into chaos, utter chaos on the earth. And then here's their final verse, verse 13. And then I looked and I heard an eagle. Some of your translations say angel. If I think you have New King James. An angel crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. So what's this angel crying out? Woe, woe, woe. To those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets, the ones that have not been blown yet, that the three angels are about to blow. In other words, if you think these first four trumpet judgments are bad, put on your seatbelt. It's getting worse when we jump into chapter nine next week. Now, as we close, and I wanna encourage you to stay with me to the end, please don't pack up yet. What are the trumpet judgments? The trumpet judgments is the way heaven sounds the alarm to earth. Christ is coming back. He's going to wage war on his enemies. He's going to replace the kingdom of darkness with the kingdom of light. Now, I know what some of you guys are thinking. I know what some people watching on Facebook right now are thinking, or some people later on listening to podcasts. I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, this is pretty heavy, and why in the world would a good God ever inflicts so much pain on humanity. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand if you're thinking that, but let me go ahead and answer your question, okay? Why would God inflict so much pain on humanity? Here's why, if you're with me, please say amen. Okay, if mankind will not respond to God's kindness and love, God will use pain to get mankind's attention. C.S. Lewis put it this way. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone, his trumpet, so to speak, to rouse a deaf world. And so if you're If you're not a believer or if you haven't committed your life to Christ, here's what you need to know. God may. I'm not saying every single time somebody sins, God inflicts pain. That's bad theology. I'm not saying that. But he has been known to do that, okay? And so if you're here and you haven't given your life to Christ, here's what you need to know. God wants to wake you up. 
And he's even willing, because he loves you so much, to bring pain into your life to get your attention. Because here's what pain does. It causes us sometimes to get on our knees. Say, God, help. Now, if you know the Lord and you have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, God is not going to ever judge or damn you, but he will absolutely bring discipline into your life. And that may include pain. Why? To get your attention. Because here's what you're doing. You're going down a road that God never said to go down, and it ends in disaster. And it's not just going to affect you. It's going to affect your loved ones around you. And the Lord is willing to say, hey, I'm going to bring pain in your life in order to sound the alarm and turn you around and get you going back the right way. Why? Because I love you, son. I love you, daughter. One of the greatest gifts God can give his children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help. Visit our website at calvarypsl.com. Click on I'm New Here, then Knowing Christ.